0: Wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. I recently read a book. It's called What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer by Skye Jathani. And I was so moved by the introduction, thinking that, you know, this is not only relevant for myself, but I think our whole congregation. I would like to begin by reading that introduction. To you. And I am just assuming, uh, because I feel this letter of the Lord, that God will speak to your heart in one way or another through it. Sky begins his book this way He says, I want to live a radical life for God. That's how one college student responded when I asked why he was no longer planning to attend medical school. He was convinced that saving lives as a cardiologist was too mundane a a calling for a Christian. Instead, like so many other young adults, he believed social activism was a higher calling. I wanna go overseas and impact lives, he said. How will you do that, I asked. I don't know yet, he confessed. Maybe I'll start a nonprofit or church or something to transform a city. His combination of enthusiasm and naivete is why I enjoy students so much, Skye says. But whatever I do, it has to be something radical. It became evident through our conversation that the young man wasn't just ambitious to improve the world, but to prove his significance. As we talked, the word radical was used repeatedly. He employed it as an antonym for ordinary. In fact, he had not only wanted to transcend an ordinary life, he also carried a disdain for Christians who did not. Do you think Jesus lived a radical life, I asked? Of course, he laughed at my question. Jesus changed the world. Yes, but his ministry was only about three years. He spent most of his life, decades, as an obscure carpenter. Was that radical? The young man looked confused. If Jesus fails the definition of a radical life that you're applying to yourself, I said, could your definition be wrong? I've had some variation of this conversation, Sky says, with dozens of young adults in recent years. My goal is never to extinguish their sense of mission or their hunger for justice, but instead to redirect where they find their value away from an external impact upon the world and toward an internal communion with God. They've been told by the culture, as we all have, both outside and inside the church, that a radical life is determined by visible influence. Our impact must be obvious, measurable, and shareable on social media. This definition, however, is betrayed by the word's origin. Radical comes from the Latin radicalis, which means root. It speaks of the invisible part of the plant that gives it strength and life. The truly radical Christian is not the one whose life appears extraordinary, but the one whose unseen communion with God is extraordinary. Living radically is about prayer, not about prominence. Through most of church history, this has been understood. A very long tradition affirms the centrality of prayer going back to the New Testament. It's notable that the apostles did not ask Jesus about the proper way to heal the sick, organize a church, or teach the scriptures. But they did ask him how to pray. Although prayer was a common practice in the Jewish culture, they recognized something different about the way Jesus prayed. Unlike other rabbis who employed prayer to control God or to display their own piety, Jesus prayed to relate to his father. This was radical. For him, prayer was intimate, unending, and the root from which his life found strength and power. That explains why he spoke so frequently to his followers about the importance and the nature of prayer and why his closest disciples desired to emulate his example. They recognized that apart from a life rooted in communion with God, nothing else Jesus commanded was possible. This is also what makes our neglect of prayer, Skye says, so bewildering. In many Christian communities, language about having a personal relationship with God is ubiquitous. But the practice of prayer, which is how we actually have a relationship with God, is largely absent. And while Jesus' disciples wanted to learn how to pray above all else, our priorities are precisely the opposite. A nationwide survey asked pastors to identify their highest ministry priorities. Among the top results were evangelism and outreach at 46%, preaching at 35%, and prayer ranked dead last at 3%. This data fits my own experience, Guy says, and maybe yours as well. As a teenager, for those of us who grew up in the church, even as young adults, involved in a number of ministries, I was taught how to read and study the Bible. I was taught how to share my faith and debate non-believers. I was taught how to organize programs and lead ministry events. I was even taught how to manage my money and date girls. But no one taught me how to pray. Simply put, popular forms of Christianity are obsessed with teaching us how to live for God, but they rarely equip us to actually live with him. Rather than being the irreplaceable root from which every aspect of the Christian life is nourished and grows, prayer is an optional accessory in many places. It functions parenthetically. We attach prayer to the beginning and end of an event or a meeting to provide an air of spirituality and grammar parentheses are used to insert an afterthought into a sentence or paragraph that's already complete without it. Anything within the parentheses is superfluous and non-essential. Likewise, many of us have been formed into a faith that puts prayer in parentheses. It's an afterthought to a meeting, an addition to a worship service or a custom before a meal. But in each case, we suspect the meeting, service, or meal would have been just fine without it. The peripheral place of prayer in the life of the church may explain why it remains peripheral in the life of so many Christians. But the soul, like nature, abhors a vacuum. If prayer does not function as the root of our Christian life, something else will take its place. Some try to replace prayer with knowledge. They believe a head full of theology doctrine or scripture, reading books is a substitute, a suitable one. They mistake mere intellect for communion with the indwelling Holy Spirit. And yet we all know some of the meanest religious people are those with the most knowledge. As the Apostle Paul warned, if I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I have nothing. I am nothing. Others, like the young man who wanted to move overseas and change the world, root their faith in activism. They believe meaning and significance will be found in their achievements. Very often their goals are admirable and the work they hope to accomplish is aligned with Christ's kingdom, but when it takes the place of communion with Christ himself, that's when they're in danger. And again, Paul warns the activist, if I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Jesus, lastly he says, was a brilliant teacher. He amazed the crowds with his knowledge and impressed the religious leaders with his wisdom. And Jesus was the activist par excellence who transformed lives and ignited a movement that changed history. Knowledge and activism are very good things, but neither was the root of Jesus' life and neither should be the root of ours. Instead, we're called to find our truest self, our deepest calling and unconditional love as we abide in communion with God through prayer. And so to do that, we need to recalibrate our mundane understanding of prayer to align with Jesus' truly radical vision. And this means breaking it out of the parentheses popular Christianity that it has been put into so that prayer can not only become the central practice that roots our faith, but also the practice that strengthens and nourishes all the others. Amen. Brothers and sisters, that is why we must start with the call to prayer and go beyond viewing and practicing prayer as one-sided, where we simply tell God all about our troubles and make requests as if God is some sort of cosmic Santa Claus or a slot machine in heaven but rather discover that real prayer also involves us listening and hearing from God as we see in the life of Jesus, as we commune with God off stage and behind closed doors. Isn't that something? And isn't that just like our God, that the greatest work on the planet, the things that, that, that really move mountains is the prayer that happens in unseen places, out of the eye from the public and off of social media. This is the way that God works. And of course, I know that this notion of God can speak to us, uh, that he can speak to us, is a bit much for postmodern disciples of empiricism and what we've called scientism. That is the belief that all there is and can be known is what science can prove. Oh, the spiritual but not religious crowd are fine with you praying to the great spirit, meditating, or doing some yoga, or all of, all of the above, just as long as you don't claim that God speaks to you. It begs the question that comedian Lily Tomlin once asked, why is it that when we speak to God we're said to be praying, but when God speaks to us we're said to be schizophrenic? But listen to what our master said in John chapter 10, verse 14 and 27. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I think whether you believe that we can hear from God and know the shepherd's voice, as Jesus said, or not, it's really all about your worldview. And so if you would think with me, because I know we're a thinking congregation, about how our worldview shapes the way we approach God, the way we understand prayer, and the way we think about a personal relationship with God. Where is God? Who is God? When? what difference does it make? Well, I'd say there are three primary or basic worldviews when it comes to uh, deity and how we relate to God. The first one is pansyism, which is actually growing in popularity today. The basic idea is that God is everything and everything is God. God is in the stuff. This stand here is God. This, the pew is God. The trees are God. The animals is God. God is in everything and everything is God. And so in this case, prayer is about getting in tune with yourself and with nature, or as you've probably heard it being one with the universe. Now, I'm a Star Wars fan, but pantheistic ideas show up in Star Wars. They've even shown up more recently in the Marvel movies. And, and all of this comes from ancient worldviews and perspectives like Greek mythology, Native American religions, and, and some schools of Hinduism and Buddhism. But this is not Christian theism. Another view which has been popular in this country, and I would, Venture to say that it's probably made its way, because it is very American, into all of our lives at some point or another, and that's what we call deism, It simply is the belief that God is a distant deity who created and then stepped away. And so most of the times you see a reference to God in founding documents of this country, this is the God of deism. And in this perspective, prayer calls across a void in times of need or trouble, and usually for national or tribal blessings. And often we, we, we hear uh, a presidential speech ended that way, and God bless America. We're talking about this God of deism. But again, this God is far away. He, he's the man upstairs. And when we call out to him, it's like putting a message in a bottle and throwing it out in the ocean. Maybe he gets it, maybe he doesn't, I don't know. If we make a lot of noise or maybe like the prophets of all scream really loudly and cut ourselves, maybe he'll hear us. But this is not the God of Christianity. It's not the God that we, that we pray to. See, Christian theism teaches that God is transcendent. He's above all of his creation, but he's also present in it. And that God relates to us in the realms of heaven and earth. That is, that is the, the world in which he created this split-level world of heaven and earth. And so, in this view, God is knowable and God has been fully revealed in Jesus. Therefore, prayer is spiritual communication where God, whose spirit, touches our spirit. But we should recognize that prayer encompasses more than simply communicating with God. I think that would be really too narrow of a view when we talk about prayer is simply communicating with God because really it's about communing and relating to a loving God who the Bible says is the divine creator that has a will and a purpose for the world, including your own life. And folks, that is good news this morning. As the prophet Samuel discovered when he was a boy and when we heard in the scripture reading this morning, at the end of the period of the judges before Israel had her first king, before there was a temple, there was the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, the sort of movable, mobile temple. And you'll recall that Hannah, who in her old age could not bear a child, but God gives her the ability to do so, and she had Samuel, and she dedicates Samuel to the service of the temple. And so Samuel's a, a boy And Eli is the priest. And the Bible says that Samuel gets a word from God, which was rare at that time. Samuel hears, doesn't recognize it's God's voice at first. And Samuel thinks the priest Eli is calling him, but they both discover that it's God. After the third time, Eli tells Samuel, oh, you're hearing from God. And then Eli guides him, as we should do young people in the church. And each other, especially if you've grown up in the church and not known how to hear the voice of the Lord and discern his will. Eli helped Samuel in how to hear and respond to God in conversation. And this for Samuel would be the beginning of a long ministry. As you know, he'll go on to be the prophet to Saul and, and, um, and help in his leadership. Was this voice audible that Samuel hears? Well, we should say possibly it was. It sure seems that in instances in the Old Testament, the voice of God appears to be audible. And while it's certainly possible for God to speak to us audibly, I've never heard that. That isn't to say that God can't. And as we said, there's evidence of that in the scripture. Or also that God speaks to us through dreams and visions. God can do those things, but it's not often the common way in which God speaks. So here are three common ways that I think you're attested to in the Scripture. According to the Bible, three common ways God speaks. us. Number one, God speaks to us directly in an inward way. We might say it this way, that God speaks to us through our own thoughts. We see examples of this with Abraham, with Moses, with the prophets, with Jesus himself, the apostle Paul, and so many others. Men and women where God speaks to them through their own thoughts. You say, well, how do I know if it's God or me? Answer, practice. And the more you do this, the more you're able to discern the voice of God and you stop asking, God, was that you or was it me? There's also other ways to discern that, like with the Scripture, which is the second way in which common way God speaks to us through the Holy Scriptures. We see this with people like Josiah, who decides that his wicked father and grandfather is not the way he's going to lead. We'll look at this more next week. And he discovers in cleaning out the temple and his desire to do away with the idols, the book of Deuteronomy. And he reads the Scripture and his spirit comes alive and God speaks to him. All through the scriptures, we see examples of this. God speaking to us through the scriptures, which is another way we can discern, is it the voice of God? If you, if you have something that you think might be the voice of God in your thoughts, and it's contrary to scripture, well, there's a clue that it's not the Lord. And then number three, a common way that God speaks speaks to us is through other people. Would it be like Samuel to Saul? Yes. And Nathan to David or Ananias to Saul of Tarsus who becomes Paul the Apostle. And Peter to Cornelius and Paul to the Athenian philosophers and so forth. So God speaks to us in an inward way through our thoughts. God speaks to us through the scriptures and God speaks to us through other people. So at this point, let me ask you a few questions. And that is this, are you listening for God's voice? Or have you thought that prayer is simply me doing all the talking? Think about what we've heard so far from Sky Jethani in his book and through the scripture reading this morning. Are you listening for God's voice? Are you awake to what God is doing? Would you know, and I hope that you do, If you don't, that you'll experience that prayer and entering into a conversational prayer life with God opens us up to see God's kingdom as never before. I can guarantee you that the most cynical people and the meanest religious people, and I'm not just talking conservative fundamentalists, there are such a thing as progressive fundamentalists, are people who don't do a lot of praying and don't have a lot of conversation with God. So prayer is a way of awakening us to the presence of God, to see the goodness of God. As Jesus said in Nicodemus, to have our eyes opened by being born again to what God is doing in the world. For you have to be to see it. And then also, are you able to hear his voice within you? Think about these questions. Are you listening for God's voice? Are you awake to what he's doing around you? And are you able to hear his voice within you? And if you're not, or you're unsure about where to start this morning, I like to suggest slowing down and intentionally creating some space for the Lord to speak to you. As the psalmist wrote, In Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I'm God. We have a hard time, let's just admit, doing this, being still. Because even in the still moments, we don't like boredom. So what do we usually grab? Our smartphone. You know that studies are being done today that says that a lack of boredom is causing to the increase in mental health issues because we never have space and time to sit with our own thoughts, to be aware of ourself, to what's going on within us, and certainly for the Christian to take all of those thoughts and feelings to God. You know, I've recently learned this. You know, I've told you before, I watched this show called Alone where these people, it's a reality show, they're equipped with GoPro cameras, they have to film themselves going out and living all by themselves in isolation. And after about a week or two, people begin, and you can really see who's ever gone to counseling or who hasn't, or who doesn't talk about their feelings very often because the isolation and being alone forces it all to the surface. And then you have to deal with it. In fact, some people who, who have these survival skills or maybe they were in the military and they know how to live on their own are doing perfectly fine finding their own food, setting up their own shelter, surviving the elements. It's the isolation that gets them because they're not used and too accustomed to communing with God in solitude. Now, that's my Christian perspective, but I do think that it's true. They've not been in touch with themselves and in touch with God's presence around them. And so think about this verse that way. Be still and know that I am God. Now, if you want to go out and live in the wilderness for a little while, I know Pastor Dave, I wouldn't mind that. I wouldn't mind that. That's not what I'm inviting us to do, but I am inviting us to have moments in our week where we do embrace the solitude and the silence, being alone with God. As Jesus said, behind closed doors. Certainly God can break through our busy lives and the rat race that we often live in and all the noise. He can appear in a burning bush as he did with Moses. Even if that's metaphorically speaking, in some way God can do that. He can knock us off our horse as he did Saul of Tarsus who was very religious and very zealous in his faith, but far from God, just didn't know it. But you know, I have found church that isn't normally how God speaks to us. Instead, it's, as the scriptures say, through a still small voice that God comes to us. It's with a divine whisper through our own thoughts that the Spirit of God most often speaks to us. And being alone and embracing solitude, even boredom, helps us to do that. Uh, I've experienced this on many occasions. And as I said, the more you do this, the more experience you have, the more it happens. But I recently experienced this on a hike over my vacation. I took a a solo hike, and some of you will recognize that as a panoramic shot of uh, white rocks and boiling springs. And I got up to the top, and I know it was the top because somebody had spray-painted tea on one of the stones. And I thought, it was so quiet. And when I started to make my way to the top, I would stop along the way and just listen it was so quiet I could hear my own heart beating and it's not often in our throughout our week that we hear that kind of silence I mean it was eerie but it was cool and I got there to the top and it just I know it's winter and so all the leaves are off the trees but it was still beautiful and it was just admiring God's creation it was it was so great almost you know like curled up in a lotus position on that rock you know Praying to God, of course. And I I don't know if I said this out loud or within myself, but I just said to the Lord, wow, what a beautiful creation you have made. And I heard the Lord speak this to me. Yeah, that's something. But do you know what my greatest creation is? You. Reminds me of the hymn that we would sing in the Baptist church. He walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. You know that song? What we miss out on when we don't take the time to speak to God and create space for him to speak to us. Now, I thought, hey, I'm pretty, feeling pretty spiritual in that moment. I think maybe I should just stay up here for 30, 45 minutes and continue to do this and have some great spiritual experience. But I'm like, you know, you know what's also spiritual and also meaningful and moving and God can speak to me is just enjoying his creation. And so that's what I did. And then I saw God everywhere, but still recognized he was transcendent, and all the more to be glorified for his work and creation. As I said in my email this past week, like many of you, I grew up in the church. I've been a Christian for most of the 41 years of my life, and I've been in some form of pastoral ministry for about half that time. But I can tell you that none of that automatically makes for a good prayer life. In fact, if I've learned anything, it is that developing a, a deep, meaningful prayer life and learning to hear from God is a lifelong venture and one that is enriched by our intentional practice of it. It gets better with use. And some of you no doubt have experienced this for yourself. And then there are others who, you know, you may be interested in learning how to start on this path of hearing from God more regularly. And Here is a helpful place, I think, to begin and a few ideas to to get you going. You don't have to jot all this down. We put all of this stuff on the website with each sermon post if you want to wait for that. But if you want to hear God speak, we must be listening. What is the posture then of a listening disciple of Jesus? Here are a few things to help. The first thing is our heart and our mind must be open to hearing from God. You know, don't have the pantheist perspective. Don't have the deist perspective, but truly be a Christian theist. And understand that the God of the universe, more than anything else, what he wants and desires to do is to commune with you. He wants to speak. In fact, I submit to you, God is always speaking. We're just not always listening. And sometimes he speaks and we don't recognize it's his voice. So come to God with an open heart and mind ready to hear. We also need to be humble. We need to be humble and believing, dependent and surrendered. You cynical folks out there, believe me, I know I I struggle with this. I like to think of myself as uh, as a hopeful realist, as a redeemed cynic but you're gonna have a difficult time connecting with the divine. If you gripe and complain and everywhere you look is just evil and bad and wrong and you like to poop on the church, you know? Like, this is not gonna get you in tune with the Lord. And I would say to you what Jesus said to Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? If you want to come to the Lord, you want to know the Lord, we must come to him humbly, not in an arrogant fashion, not in a know-it-all fashion, not in a self-righteous fashion, but a humble fashion. Believing and dependent. I need God. I need to hear from God and surrender to whatever He happens to tell you. Because sometimes He'll tell you to do something. Also, it requires cultivating your spiritual capacity to hear God's voice in solitude and your everyday activities. So, not just when you're sitting down to do the spiritual things like your quiet time, but in all things. As Brother Lawrence said, practicing the presence of God. And lastly, we allow space for God to speak to us when we pray. Entering into prayer, not just, okay, God, sit back and listen, because I got a lot to say. But God, I want to have a conversation. I'm expecting you to speak to me. More recently, um, I've benefited from a few tools that uh, can be really helpful if you want to put your technology in that smartphone to use. (laughs) Why don't you get a few of these apps as I said, I found them helpful in reaching out to God spirit to spirit and opening myself up to hearing from Him. The first one, and I know you've probably heard us mention this one before, is called Pray As You Go. And all of these apps actually are quite entertaining because they're British spe- people speaking. Makes it interesting, especially for the kids. Pray as you go is is perfect for on the go, actually. I I often listen to this one in my car or when, when you're walking or out for a jog. This is a good one to get. You get to listen and pray as you start your day or any other time of the day. And then there's also this newer one. It's called Lectio 365. Lectio 365, it uses the Lectio Divina process, which means divine reading. We'll talk about that more next Sunday. It's a practice of reading scripture, of doing prayer and reflecting and creating space to hear from God. And and at the end of the day, because there's a morning one and there's an evening one, to, to rest in the presence of God and reflect on the day. Where have I seen God at work? How has God been speaking to me? Where were the places where there was dissonance, where I wasn't sensing the presence of God and wasn't aware of him? The, all of these apps can help you do that. You can read it. Or if you easily get distracted, raise your hand, like I start to pray and I just, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, the, I'm like the dog in the movie Up, like Squirrel. You know, I'm like, just I can't focus on what I'm praying. If that's you, then push play and listen. It will help you tune into the voice and focus your attention. And then our family, for you young families, I would say, especially if you have children that's elementary age, 24 uh, seven put out this Lectio for families. Uh, This app will uh, provide you with some background music that's good for the kids. There's even a, a child that quotes the scripture because you have a memory verse every week. Explore these apps. If the Book of Common Prayer isn't doing it or the devotion at the Christian bookstore isn't working for you, try something else. Do something that works. There's no one size fits all. There's no right way to do this. Just do something, amen? So there's many ways to do it. Not a one-size-fits-all. Please hear me say that this morning. The important thing is that we are intentional and we embrace regular formative practices, creating space to hear from God. So here finally are some questions for us this morning for reflection and response as I'm now inviting us into a moment to listen and hear the voice of God and respond to him. Number one, ask yourself this. How is my prayer life? Now I know, like that question is just, so it feels like it's just ingrained already with like guilt and shame. Don't, don't do that, God God doesn't want that for you. That, that's, not, that's not the way to be motivated and that's not my intention either. And in fact, um, if we were honest, how is your prayer life? I mean, who's ever at a place where would be like, oh, it's wonderful. You know, I can't make any improvements at all. I mean, I'm just on the mountaintop here. All of us can. All of us can deepen our prayer life and make some adjustments. So what is it that maybe you need to do? Do you have set times that you pray? I'd encourage you to do that. Regular rhythms and routine, just like breakfast, just like showering, just like lunch and dinner time. And once upon a time, they would ring the church bells as the Muslims did their call to prayer and call us all to prayer that way. But whatever works for you, just find a regular routine and rhythm and make your faith a priority. Number two, when you pray, are you allowing space for God to speak to you? And and maybe if you were honest this morning, you'd say, no, I just, I do a lot of talking or it's just kind of awkward or I don't really know what to expect. That's okay, it's all right. But try it, because it gets better with practice, and maybe one of these apps can help you uh, to do that, to learn to listen, to learn to hear the voice of God. Folks, a five-year-old can do it. Uh, This past week, we were doing the Lectio for Families with our boys, and our youngest has, you know, had had a difficult week or two and experienced a little bit of anxiety. And it come to a time in the app where it told us to press pause and to ask this question, how is God speaking to you? And our five-year-old said, he told me not to worry. You can hear from God. And some of us need to quit being grown-ups and start being children in our faith again. Amen. Lastly, how is the Spirit prompting you to respond to this message. Another way of putting that, and we say this often at Granton Church, what is God saying to you, and what are you going to do about it? I hope you'll do something. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, we want to hear from you. We run out of gas so quickly trying to be active and caring about justice issues and Caring about our neighbors and loving our neighbors and trying to do all of that in our own strength and not knowing and investing in communion with you. So Lord, teach us. Because we know all those things are good. We know that you've called us to do them. But we also know because we see through your example that you would get away from it all to spend time with the Father. Lord, that was your real stage. So, God, show us what it means to do that. Lord, retrain us, recondition us the way American society and culture has guided us to be consumers, has guided us to think about making an impact and being influential and being somebody. Lord, help us to know that we're already somebody in you. Lord, that you love us as we are, not as we should be, because we'll never be as we should be. That you love us more today than you ever could at any other time. Lord, you always will love us this way. Help us to know we have your, your love and your favor so that we may be drawn to you by the power of the Holy Spirit, not run and hide as Adam and Eve did in shame and guilt and nakedness, but come to you knowing that you're the healer, that you're the sustainer, that you're the God that gives new experiences that can deepen our faith, that can give us life. We pray all these things in the wonderful, beautiful name of Jesus, your son, and all of God's people said, Amen.